Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everyone, welcome to a special conference coverage episode of Human Factors Cast. We recorded this over several different segments. Uh, right now, it's September 22nd as I'm wrapping all this up. Uh, I'm your host, Nick Rome, and on this episode, we're recapping Neuroergonomics Conference 2021. Uh, we'll hear from some of the folks in our lab uh, about what they thought of the event, and we'll end with an interview with Louis Chuang, one of the co-chairs of the event. But first, I wanted to give my general impressions. Uh, this is one of my new favorite conferences. Um, I mean, all the people involved the and the venue itself was neat. I mean, you'll hear more about that a little bit later from others. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about one of my favorite keynotes, uh, which, of course, is no, of no surprise to folks who listen to the show frequently. Uh, it was on virtual reality. It was from Mel Slater. Uh, he talked about body representation in VR. So, so he specifically mentioned some, you know, these illusions that, um, you know, are used. Right. So things like embodied self when you are. Uh, for lack of a better term, transported into the body of some other thing. Uh, I think in one of the examples he used like a lobster. Uh, but the idea here is that if you do that, how much empathy can you get about embodying another being, right? And you can apply this to things like racial uh, and, and gender discrimination, right? If you embody uh, somebody else of uh, some other gender or, uh, race, ethnicity than you, you might have more empathy for them, right? Or at least that's the assumption. Uh, he also brought up, you know, other illusions like the rubber hand illusion. That's where you put your hand on one side of the mirror and they kind of match the uh, the stimulus across your hand and the rubber hand. And then they go to, uh, <laughs> I guess, apply a negative stimulus like a hammer coming down on the rubber hand and you will react to that because you feel like that is your hand uh, in a virtual environment. Um, ultimately, he talked about some really cool research, um, like coaching yourself through a simulation as if you were another person, basically having a conversation with yourself, uh, kind of like I'm doing now, uh, not, not dissimilar to this, uh, only more therapeutic. I, you know, it's like if I'm if I'm talking to myself, I'd say, so, Nick, what are you worried about this uh, bonus episode? Well, I'm worried that people might not want to uh, listen to me ramble on. Don't worry. We're getting to others later. I do want to get to one of the key takeaways from that talk, though. And I think for me, you know, as, as VR can be an effective tool, especially for establishing empathy. But in some cases, it might actually make biases worse and might not actually help with empathy. Um, and it's one of those it depends kind of situations. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, my main takeaway from this conference, though, was that it was super in line with what we do here and what we talk about on the show. And uh, so I'm going to make every effort on my end to attend this thing uh, whenever they put it on, especially since they uh, put a huge emphasis, at least on the application of some of this academic research uh, that they are showing to industry. And that's huge. Right. Well, enough of my rambling. Let's hear from some of the lab members about what they thought of the conference this year. Hi, I'm Mateo, and I'm one of the members of the Human Factors Cast Media Lab. And last week I was able to attend the Neuroergonomics uh, conference online. It was actually quite an interesting setup as they were using a um, system called Gather, 
which uh, creates an online hangout space. So we were able to move between different rooms to go to different talks. So you could see like people standing in front of their posters uh, on the screen. You could have little video chats um, with them. I reckon it was a great um, way to have a conference set up and uh, looking forward to seeing how other events um, use that. I was actually able to also get to a couple of uh, the talks. Um, one was about using sort of biosensors in vehicles to detect driver behaviors and potentially uh, predict uh, health outcomes um, from that, diagnose uh, disease conditions. And the other one uh, was about uh, the, sort of the, sort of the ethics in AI and neurotechnologies. So I'll uh, go into both of them for a, a brief um, overview in a moment. The first talk that I got to attend was uh, titled Digital Biomarkers from Sensors in Cars and Devices. This was presented by uh, Matthew Rizzo from the University of uh, Nebraska. So the whole concept of this um, presentation was uh, based, based around your car being your doctor. So essentially uh, being able to try and earlier uh, predict and diagnose various uh, conditions and diseases based on your uh, driving behaviors and I thought this was great because you know driving is probably one of the activities that a lot of us do the most other than sort of sleeping and uh, eating and going to work uh, we go out with our friends we go on road trips we drive to the shops we drive to work uh, there, there's so much time that we spend driving and so much untapped data in what we're doing that can link back to uh, various conditions that are much um, earlier time uh, so he went on went on to talk about how they've been doing stuff to um, basically earlier diagnose uh, things like Alzheimer's uh, disease and diabetes just based on uh, erratic and unpredictable um, driving behaviors and then talking about I guess some of the different uh, technologies and systems uh, sensors that they've been using to do that both in sort of you know clinical, trial test environments, uh, using driving uh, simulators, you know, all these different metrics uh, that they're measuring, such as steering wheel position, accelerator and brake, you know, time to collisions, the speed, all the variations in what you're doing with you know, crossing over lanes inadvertently. It, it was really a, a meaty, meaty talk, and uh, I've got to review a lot of it myself, but I was just extremely impressed at the level of detail that... Um, Matthew went into and uh, talking about the differences between results that they get from simulators and then results that they get from obviously, you know, like black box type devices, dashboard cameras and other sensors on board vehicles from real world um, situations. So this is something that I'm definitely going to look into uh, a little bit further myself. And um, that was the first talk that I got to attend. The second talk that I got to attend at the conference was Ethics of AI for Neurotechnologies. Now, uh, that uh, can go down various deep, dark rabbit holes. Uh, quite a few good questions were brought up. It was a panel uh, discussion, so there was uh, quite a good, varied set of viewpoints. But I think a sort of general consensus came back to a few um, key points. So I guess in terms of uh, one of the biggest challenges is that uh, technology has always been associated with something desirable and fascinating and sexy and devices that come out today that don't have AI in them are not, are not seen as that desirable because oh, if it doesn't ha have AI then well what is it going to do for me it's not going to be very smart it's not going to be very useful but then a lot of the 
devices that are coming out with AI built into them don't really let you know about a lot of the issues that they have around you know, various biases in the algorithms, security issues, and you know where your inform information is being stored, what's being done with it, you know what algorithms your data might be helping to create that you know may have some other unintended um, consequences. Um, one of the biggest challenging areas for um, AI, particularly neurotechnologies, is obviously the health domain and healthcare system. You know, I mean, people are now wearing Fitbits, Whoop bands, um, you know, various sensors for all sorts of things, and intelligent diabetes monitors. I mean, what are the implications of these uh, devices and the data that's being stored? You know, are insurance companies going to get a hold of this and start to raise your premiums because they see, oh, okay, you haven't actually done your 10,000 steps for the day, you know, for example. So there, there's a lot of things that um, come out of this. Also, there doesn't seem to be any clear agreements or consensus on how technologies are to be used in a security context for national security. So there's a lot of debates um, around that. Privacy with our brain data, you know, our thoughts. It, it, what, what is the privacy of our thoughts? How, how are we going to tackle that? Uh, and the, even the reliability of some of these technologies, you know, what happens when they go wrong? Uh, can these algorithms fail and, and then start to work against us? So the real big thing that came out of this was that we really need a more embedded ethics approach to technology development as early as, as possible in the development process. We need to reflect human values in the development process and basically put, put ethics at the core of the design so ethics by design essentially because we want technology to carry the values that that we cherish so that we have technology that works for us and not against us and really just making people aware that ethics is part of all professions e ethics is in every industry you know, everything we create and we really should be striving to do science for the common good and address social expectations and needs of people, especially in different cultures, because different cultures have different needs and different values. So it's not just a one size fits all uh, approach. Uh, so yeah, this uh, discussion really brought up uh, a lot of thinking points and yeah, potentially even something that we can really dive deep into for a whole, whole episode um, to look at. But uh, yeah, the, the attending the conference was great. Uh, um, appreciate um, being able to uh, attend as a part of being um, you know, one of the Media Lab members for the Human Factors cast. And uh, I look forward to more collaborations like this and uh, just really spreading the word about um, human factors across all industries. So I hope you all have a good day. And remember, it depends. Hi, this is Rachel from The Lab here to talk about the conference that I attended, I wanted to highlight a little bit about the platform we were using. And it was super, super cool because you got to customize your own person that was walking around and exploring. And you were only able to hear and see other people if you were nearby. Uh, so it kind of replicated a real conference in that way. Uh, I really can't wait until the next one. Hi all, this is Katie from the HFC Lab. I had such a great time at the NEC conference from start to finish. I loved using Gather for the conference and thought the organizers did a great job of setting up the rooms for the panels and poster sessions. It was so much fun getting to create my avatar and join everyone else for the group photo at the end of the conference. All of the panels and presentations I attended were excellent. 
I would like to give a special shout out to the Women in Neuroergonomics panel and to the Future of Work keynote. It was wonderful to be able to learn from these amazing women about how they have handled the challenges that women face when it comes to succeeding in the neuroergonomics space, from not being taken seriously to finding a good work-life balance. To hear from such impressive women that they too have had to overcome such hurdles as imposter syndrome was so inspiring, and it is a great feeling to know that you are not alone in these sorts of things. The Future of Work keynote was very interesting as well, and highly topical as more companies consider what their workplaces will look like post-pandemic. It was fascinating to learn how the brain responds to getting to have breaks throughout the day, and to see the differences in brain activity between no breaks and breaks. After seeing that studies about the future of work have placed a huge emphasis on employee well-being as the key to greater productivity, especially in a hybrid work environment, I'm excited to see where work will go. All right, now let's get to my interview with Lewis. Uh, I just want to just take a quick little note here that uh, there were some audio quality issues during this part of the program on my end. Uh, Lewis's audio is fine, so apologies for that. But fortunately, uh, Lewis is doing most of the talking in this interview, so I really hope you all enjoy my conversation with Lewis. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by Lewis Chuong, by uh, for, uh, one of the co-chairs of the Neuroergonomics Conference that we were just at and had a ton of fun at. Uh, Lewis, how are you? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? Uh, how, how are you? I'm great, Lewis. I'm, I'm still coming down from the high that was uh, Neuroergonomics Conference. Um, you and your team did a phenomenal job over there. Um, oh, thanks. Absolute bang up job. I, I, I'm I'm 100% sincere in that. For a virtual event, this was awesome. Um, Cheers, mate. Yes, you and your team. Uh, who who's on, you want to go over your full list of your team? I, I want to make sure they all get credit for, uh, right. for what they've done. Um, well, there might not be enough space to give proper thanks <laughs> to everyone, but first of all, I almost certainly must mention that I wasn't uh, alone in this. Um, and we had equal responsibilities, Francisca Emmeling um, from TU Munich and myself with regard to organizing this. But of course, we also had a lot of support from um, our program chairs, um, Eva Visa from George Mason University, now at TU Berlin, Anne-Marie Brauer from TNO in the Netherlands, and our steering committee, um, Hassan Ayes and um, Fred Dehey. Yeah, like I said, you guys did an absolute phenom absolutely phenomenal job uh, with this virtual event. Um, so we are here. We're here to cover the event. Um, we did a little preview episode, but I want I want to talk to you. I want to talk to one of the mm -hmm. co-chairs of this event. What is Neuroergonomics Conference for the for the folks who might be listening for the first time? So the Neuroergonomics Conference um, was essentially founded in 2016 by um, Fred DeHay. Um, he was just awarded a very um, special chair by um, the AXA Research Fund, which is quite a prestigious one. And as part of his concept, it was really to also create a community um, that tries to look into the, uh, the, 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 the new risks um, that AI digitalization and automation might be introducing uh, into the workspace um, and together with um, Hassan Ayes, they essentially set up this community. And in 2018, um, so two years later, we held it in Philadelphia. Um, once again, we went, right, we think the community is about 150, let's add an extra 50, and we almost hit 300. 
So, you know, it's it's registration rates have been going upwards. We had 444 this year. Uh, but, um, well, the quality of food's been going downwards. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even bother offering food or catering this year um, since it was a digital event. Well, I don't blame you. I do want to back up and say, you know, like the, the topics at Neuroergonomics Conference are, are actually surprisingly a lot of, you know, some of the stories that we talk about on the show. So it was kind of a, a, a real nice fit for us to be there and listen to a lot of these uh, talks and see all the presentations going on. So it was a really good fit for us as, as the Human Factors cast. Um, so you kind of went over what the venue is like in the past. Um, it, what, what was the vibe generally at those events? You see, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of people are showing up. Um, is it like other conferences that you've been to or does it kind of have a unique flair to it? Well, it's very unique with regards to the fact that our research um, is intended to be um, applied. And I say this with a lot of caution because we've been receiving as well a bit of blowback from, from the academic community. So you usually have this um, discussion of, well, do you do basic research or do you do applied research, right? The communities that's chosen to gather around neuroeconomics uh, the neuroeconomics conference um, tend to not subscribe to this way of thinking about things, um, and as a result, it's it it can. It's it's a fairly informal setting, um, as you might find in any case in uh, in many friendly um, academic conferences, but you rarely hear people um, saying things, at least not out loud, that, well, that problem in I don't know the mining industry that doesn't sound relevant at all or that's very applied right rather they might take pause and think about well what does this mean with regards to what we actually know about the brain or a brain mechanism so that's that's been the culture or, or that's that's generally been been the feel at these conferences um i think the open-mindedness is inherent to um, the neuroeconomics conference in that that regards you take pause to think beforehand um, before dismissing it as either being a, a too applied problem or if it's too basic and, you know, and, and too wonky, if, if, if you will. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a, I thought it was a great mix of kind mm -hmm. of the applied and kind of academics uh, in this one space. Right. Right. Um, it was it was it was cool to see because the whole time I was there I was like oh that's cool how could I use that in like mm -hmm. you know I do UX work so how could I how could I use that in UX is there any cool things I could take back um, well, I, I do want to get into what the venue was like this year uh, and what the what the vibe was what the virtual event itself was um, and the venue can you just talk a little bit about what it was. Um, so we made use of um, primarily of, of Gather Town. So that's um, well, actually, you covered this in your preview, didn't you? So it's a bit like a uh, MMO, um, highly pixelated, just giving you that nostalgic vibes from the eighties. Um, which, well, I don't know about you. I mean, you look really young, Nick, but it fits. It, it fits exactly in my in my age group, you know. Um, so, um, yeah. So so. We held it entirely in Gather Town, and um, we basically wanted to go as far away as possible from a web page 
with Zoom links. That was basically what we did not want to do. So although we did make use of um, external uh, uh, teleconference or video conferencing tools like Zoom, for example, we tried to embed all of this within the uh, Gather Town space. And of course, if, if anyone's interested, um, we intend to make everything public, like after this month. So it, it's free for everyone to visit. Um, and yeah, we, we had poster boards, which you can interact with to pull up a PDF. We had um, tiny TVs, which you could be watching in small rooms. So that was kind of the, the, the feel of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. I, uh, you're right. I, <laughs> it was very MMO, like the eight bit style. Uh, and I felt like I was like, Oh, this is like a mix of my childhood and my current professional, <laughs> like, uh, my current professional life. It was this nice, healthy, uh, I, I felt home in a way. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I know how to navigate this. Did, now I, I gotta ask, and it's okay if you can't mm -hmm. answer this. Did you? What was the general feedback about like navigating throughout the virtual space? I know for like younger generations, it might have been mm -hmm. a little bit easier. Um, I know you know the chat was going with the mm -hmm. Zoom links a lot of the time for some of the uh, events that were going on. Did you hear any problems about navigation issues? Um, yes, but understandably so. So you know I'm. I'm an academic, so I like to plan, you know, years ahead, if I can, kind of like what a research program needs to look like in 10 years, 20 years, right? But I have to say, planning for this conference, it was stressful. It was, it was, it was a, a true test of my abilities as, um, as, as a, a, a uh, of my training in psychology. Um, so. It was very hard to predict digital crowd behavior. Um, as you've mentioned, Nick, right? Um, um, there, there were very, very different user expectations across the different age groups, right? So I think the younger crowd got it immediately, even though it was very retro in terms of its, its, its visualization. Um, but you did have the more established um, colleagues who thought it would it might be a bit too much you know they had to relearn a completely new software you know so what we had to do was basically to have um to manage these expectations and i was really well supported by an excellent um support team so we had for example one in charge who was solely responsible for supplying emergency zoom links if possible and another student helper who was on site so to speak as a, a tiny avatar, very visible, with a, a bright yellow top hat, um, walking around and asking people if they needed directions in the digital venue, and handing out Zoom links as well, if that was um, the only possible way for them to get to the next lecture or the next talk. Yeah, but as, as, as much as possible, we try to get people invested in, in the venue without, com uh, without compelling them uh, or, or forcing them to use it. Yeah, if they yeah I mean... To. And I think that was the real challenge. Yeah, I mean, you and your team had uh, the the virtual venue up like weeks before the event, so mm -hmm. people could familiarize themselves with it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I mean, I thought the venue was a success. Uh, you know, despite some of the weird technical issues with the links, um, but overall, just a great venue. I do want to talk briefly about. 
Oh, I'm going to jump in right there, and you can yeah, cut this out. If, yeah. So, actually, it's funny you should mention that, because we had a link and we allowed public access to the venue. But what visitors might not have known was that we actually had two venues. One that we allowed people to visit freely, which was a copy of what we were really working on behind the scenes. And when people weren't noticing, we flipped it, just like in Inception. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, there were way too many insider references within our back backroom Slack channel um, to the Matrix, Inception, and all our nerdy films, and and that kept the team in, in extremely good spirits. But but anyway, um, you, you were saying sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Well, and some of that even spilled over into the little uh, Easter egg hunt that you guys had, too. That was fun right. to do. <laughs> oh, that's true. I have to congratulate you, Nick. Um, for, for coming in second in our Easter egg hunt. Thank you. Yeah, that was a ton of fun to do. I, I actually <laughs> logged in on a, I guess it was Sunday for me, and I was like, I, I'll check it out, right? And it was like afternoon for me. My family were about to go out. I was like, I'll check it out. And this, I was getting really close, and I was like, oh, shoot, i got to figure this out before we leave. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I did it 10 minutes after the first person submitted theirs. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, you, you yeah. could have almost been first. Almost, yeah. I was, I was a little mad I didn't get first. <laughs> I do, uh, do want to talk about some of the themes from the conference, mm -hmm. just high level. Uh, there were a lot of great talks, a lot of great speakers, a lot of great posters um, and, and plenary talks, uh, fireside chats. Just, I just want to get your take on what some of the themes were. Right. Um, so we were very sensitive to um, what's been going on for the last year with the pandemic um, and how work's changing. In a sense, it's actually brought focus to what we're trying to achieve here, which is whilst human factors and ergonomics have been historically and traditionally focused on physical work and the amount of stress that you might be placing on the body, right? Um, I think the last year has, has made it absolutely clear that um, considering stresses and strain on the human mind, um, on our social interactions, um, must be considered if we're going to take a user-centric um, perspective on work. So one of the key themes was really about um, what the future of work might hold. And for that, we were very fortunate to get um, Shamsi Iqbal from Microsoft Research to give a, um, a, a, a industry keynote on that topic. Um, but of course, we also had excellent academic um, um, speakers for our keynotes, like uh, Mel Slater, um, who focused on um, avatars and 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 when would we ever assume such virtual bodies as our own? Um, Daphne Bavelier, whom I know Blake's an absolute uh, fan <laughs> of, <laughs> spoke about how um, you know it's 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 okay to play video games. You know it it, it could help you be more resilient mentally. Um, and Matthew Rizzo, who spoke about how um, the continuous measurement of physiological activity could um, help us identify um, potential diseases um, or, or dysfunctions, um, such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, or from our everyday lives. And I really like this, this term that's emerging, um, situational impairments. So you might think you're doing perfectly okay and that you're either normal or better than the rest, but situations can emerge, which makes you impaired, right? So I think that really gave a sense to what we were trying to achieve, which was um, studying the human nervous system is really important to, to understand 
um, impairments to allow us to be uh, more tolerant of, of, of individual differences um, across society. So now, this leads me to the next theme, uh, the next topic, which which was really important to Francisca and myself. We really wanted the uh, the, the conference to um, highlight um, diversity and to create an awareness um, for accessibility. Yeah, and I think I think those themes definitely carried over. I think mm -hmm. the the goals were apparent, at least from my perspective as as an attendee. Mm -hmm. um, are, are you taking anything like what are some key takeaways that you're taking away from this conference, whether it's, you know, now you know how to operate in, in GatherTown or any of the talks or keynotes? What's something that you're taking back home and you're, you're going to implement in your own research? Um, well, it's 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 certainly been a reminder once again um, that this boundary between basic and applied research and or academia versus industry, that's a very blur line, if there's even a line at all, right? So um, if we looked at attendance, um, we were really fortunate to have attracted um, industry uh, members to visit us, um, but at a ratio of one to four, so for every one um, representative from industry, we had four academics. And at least for us, that was a very healthy mix. So one key takeaway, or, or rather what I really hope to impress in my own team members or, or my, my academic colleagues is that, although it's very good and proper to be always visiting and revisiting rigor and um, in, in academic research, now and again, it's, it's really important to reach out as well to um, people on the front lines um, to make your research really matter. Um, to the ones in, in the real world who are actually funding um, what we do. So so that's definitely created um, an awareness of that once again. Um, in terms of research, well, the quality of submitted research has just been remarkable. Um, so I, I, I find it very hard to pick a, a single submission or contribution <laughs> that, that, that I would really like to highlight, especially from the academic community. So I'm just going to shift focus to um, one new event that we introduced this year that, that turned out to be really popular, um, and that's the Fireside Chats. So when I first suggested it, I did receive a little bit of pushback um, when I said, hey, why don't we have this really informal um, uh, event like a Fireside Chat, you know? Um, which one of your more famous um, uh, precedents actually uh, popularized um, many, many years back, right? And um, but but now it was kind of like more of an informal conversation between a highly established and esteemed neuroscientist, right, and someone from industry to just have a conversation to set an example for that conversation, right? So we were really fortunate to have uh, reached out and convinced um, colleagues from uh, from the food industry, from aviation, um, from leadership um, selection and training, um, from um, new media, um, from the BBC, um, and um, also from um, the, the automated vehicle um, or, or logistics companies, um, always with the caveat that anything that you say um, <laughs> does not represent the day-to-day uh, -day business operations and decisions of the company, right? Yeah, of course. And, Use my own, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, exactly. 
Uh, and we're so, you know, we're, we're so privileged that 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 they all agreed to do so because they're also researchers, active researchers within their own companies, and they saw the value in reaching out to uh, to academia. Um, but I think it really needs to go both ways. So I I, I hope that these fireside chats um, serve as a template, you know, for conversations as to how conversations could take place between members of my community and industry and vice versa. Yeah. Can, can I just say, as somebody in industry, I really appreciate that take because I feel like a lot of times I go to conferences and I go, okay, this is a lot of like, you know, research. What's the takeaway mm -hmm. from me? And when you have sort of an emphasis on creating those relationships between academia and industry and providing those takeaways um, for, you know, the folks who are actually using this in real world settings. I think that is just incredibly important. And Blake and I have talked about it on the show a million times. Any of our listeners could tell you uh, we're, we're very passionate about that. So and I think that's part of one of the reasons why I'm so jazzed about this conference is because I felt it. I felt it as a as a conference going attendee. Um, so it absolutely came off. I do right. want to um, jump into what the plans are for for next time. Is it next year? Is it two years from now? Right. So the next New York conference will be taking place um, in summer 2022. And we're really fortunate to have um, Maram Bixen um, from um, CUNY um, to be organizing it. And he's a world-leading expert on, um, on current stimulation. Um, so both uh, transcranial um, current stimulation. And um, he'll be leading the team next year and organizing it. So... Well, we're looking forward to seeing you in, in New York <laughs> next year. <laughs> if yeah. I were to plug one thing, that's the one thing I'll be plugging. Um, the Neuroergonomics Conference, the fourth Neuroergonomics Conference in, in NYC next year. Excellent. Yeah, we're, we're going to try our hardest to make it over there. And because, uh, again, it was just a fantastic event. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. by that time, COVID will completely blow over. It can be in person. No more gather town meetings. We can actually do some networking in person and have some great conversation. Uh, right. Anything else that you want to talk about neuroeconomics conference before we wrap it up here? Um, well, we've got a community. So we've got a public server um, that you can find. And I'm sure that you'll supply the links in, yep. uh, on, on, on your website. Um, so we have a public Discord server. And um, follow us on Twitter. Um, we will do our best to amplify the work that we do and your research as well, or your, your research interests. Operational concerns, yeah. So, so just ping us, and um, we hope to just grow the community. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you think of our coverage. You can always hang out with us on our Slack or Discord, or get to us on any of our social channels. You can visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, leave us a five star review. That's free for you to do. Tell your friends about us or consider supporting us on Patreon. And as always, links to our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Special thank you to Mateo, Rachel, Katie, and Lewis for their contributions and for being on the show today. We provided a few links in the description of this episode so you can find out more information about the conference. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. 
Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.